Hello, and welcome to Winning Retail. This episode features an interview with Max Pedro, co-founder and president of Takeoff Technologies. As an e-commerce and financial services entrepreneur, Max is working to transform online grocery by developing an ecosystem of automated micro-fulfillment centers. On this episode, Max takes us inside the back room of what he calls the beehive of automation, discusses why price cannot be overlooked in favor of speed and convenience, and lays out his vision for the grocery store of the future. But first, a word from our sponsors. This podcast is presented by Dell Technologies and Intel. Together, we help you realize digital transformation across retail by driving IT innovation to better engage with today's connected consumer. Learn more at DellTechnologies.com slash retail and Intel.com slash retail. So please enjoy this interview between Max Pedro, co-founder and president of Takeoff Technologies, and your host, Tony Saldana. Hey, hello, and welcome to Winning Retail, the podcast that's been designed for retail executives to help turn the biggest retail disruptions into the biggest strategic opportunities. And uh, my name, as always, is uh, Tony Saldana. And my guest today is Max Pedro, co-founder and president of Takeoff Technologies, an automated grocery fulfillment solutions company. And welcome to the show, Max. Tony, it's my pleasure to be here with you today. Max is an e-commerce and financial services entrepreneur and executive with um, more than 22 years of senior business leadership, entrepreneurship, and top-tier management consulting experience. Max, you've been VP underwriting in Citigroup for several years, senior manager at McKinsey, SVP strategy at Wells Fargo, VP international financial solutions and services at Walmart, and of course now co-founder of Takeoff. Max, I've been looking forward to this particular conversation because I have a bone to pick with you, which might get a little bit awkward. Here's the context. In 2018, I was writing my book, which uh, was published subsequently in 2019, and it's called Why Digital Transformations Fail. Now, it is loosely based on the concept of using the airline checklist methodology, specifically in airline takeoff, airplane takeoff, to improve the rigor of uh, digital transformation. And at that time, I gave it a working title and started to look around to block the website domain name. And since the book was based on the disciplines used during takeoff, I was going to title it Digital Takeoff. And I started to look for the domain name takeoff.com. And uh, guess what? Somebody had already taken it. So, Max, (laughs) co-founder of Takeoff, what do you have to say for yourself? So, Tony, I think we might have beaten you to the punch. We also beat to the punch uh, a famous rapper whose name is Takeoff as well. So don't <laughs> feel alone. <laughs> well, I, okay, that, that does make me feel better. Actually, that is just a joke. Uh, ob- obviously, I am really glad that you guys got Takeoff because it is a very appropriate term for what you guys do. So... Let's jump in there. Um, But before we do that, I would love to hear a little more about yourself and your own journey in retail. So tell us a little more about how you came about from finance to consulting to now takeoff.com. Sure. It's been quite a journey and I'm so happy to have embarked on, on this one at a time where retail is basically getting reimagined. I would say that I started my journey at retail with with McKinsey and serving clients. And then I really learned the details of of retail by working with uh, Walmart. I had the privilege of working with them out of their Arkansas headquarters. 
and did several things on that aspect. And the reality check was I was living in the flesh, what doing online groceries does to your bottom line into that shopper experience. Uh, that was the, the beginning of takeoff, the beginning. It, it all started when we realized with my co-founder, Jose, who's also a, an ex-grocer, that if we put automation close to where shoppers are, we are in the best of every world. We, we coined this phrase, micro-fulfillment centers, and you get, again, it's the best of every world. You now get really nice picking productivity from those robot, robots, but then you are also very close to those shoppers, both if they want to buy through drive-through experiences or get it home delivered. And then that cost of the last mile is finally feasible. And then when you put all of this together with really spiffy software and really spiffy fulfillment AI, that's where the magic happens. That's where the orchestration of this whole solution works. And that's essentially how you tackle probably the most difficult category of merchandise to sell online, which is this beloved grocery basket. That is absolutely fascinating. You know, I've had a little bit of, um, I guess, more from the manufacturing side experience and retail. And I know that to be, you know, not just a fascinating area, but also a very, very complicated area. So I'm really glad that you're bringing in technology and data to it. How did takeoff technologies come about. So you and your co-founder obviously sat down one day and said, hey, we got to do something here. So tell us a little more of your origin story. Sure. Um, look, our, our friendship with Jose, my co-founder, started 20 years ago. We both went to, to Harvard Business School. We were classmates, section mates, and probably the only grocers in that class. That was not the industry of choice. While I was with Walmart, he was founding an Aldi-like supermarket chain in, in his native Venezuela. And we always stayed um, connected and comparing notes. I was actually experiencing through direct experience um, through the Walmart businesses, there was a lot of focus on their UK business unit, Asda. That was one of the three markets that had gone online in a significant fashion. This is several years ago before uh, joint, before co-founding Takeoff. It was just rough. Now, you're now in the business of picking up two activities that were done for free by the shopper, which is pick and pack and the last mile. And this is an industry that has very thin margins. So when we got together with Jose and we really got to know the, the world of automation, that's where the magic happened. That would, what we basically said is like, we actually don't need to take it where Amazon has taken it, which is 10 football field warehouses. What we need to do is a locker room and the right home for that is in the back of a supermarket. That's the sweet spot. That's uh, where you get the benefits of both automation for the pick and pack but also a decent cost of last mile. And that's where you sweat a lot of the assets as well as integrate it into the way consumers want to buy into the future. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to pique your interest on that, which I think it's going to be a, a very fun part of our conversation. It is, because I know that retailers have you know, failed trying to replicate the, as you correctly call it, several football fields worth of Amazon warehousing. I mean, you know, you, you cannot play on Amazon's playing field and beat them on it. So you have to do something different. 
So take us inside one of these dark stores. I say that in quotes because I, you know, that, that's kind of the concept you just described. What does the fulfillment process look like within that end to end? Sure. Um, let me start with the part that you would see when you visit one of our facilities. You know, you go to that back of the store. We typically, our clients, these big grocers separate 10 to 12,000 square feet uh, space within that store, typically at the back room. And what we do there is we install this beehive of automation. In there, you have that automation for about 12 to 15,000 SKUs. We have uh, the details figure out with small darkroom manual environments for really fast sellers and DSP vendors, for example. But we have all the processes to pick the right item from the right spot. The bulk of it comes out of automation, but a little part of it comes from that manual environments or even leveraging the store, things like deli and meat. We take the advantage of being there and we kind of like... Uh, rather than invest in further automation and making that facility bigger and more expensive, we sweat the assets that they already have and get all of the synergies of, of labor, of distribution, of logistics, because let's face it, there's already a lot of product and a lot of people serving those facilities. So when you put it all together and you put a lot of thinking and, and artificial intelligence to get the processes right, and you make these learning systems, that's where the magic happens. That's when uh, you can finally sell online and make even more money than uh, selling from brick and mortar, something that was not even dreamt possible a few years ago. And I really, really like this construct of sweating the assets of the existing retailer. So if I may, Max, just to kind of stay a little uh, longer on this particular topic. So describe how much of this is physical technology, right? You know, um, so the, the Amazon warehouses famously have got, you know, robots that actually move the physical shelves to the picker rather than the picker going to, you know, different shelves. So you've got warehouse management technologies. And then, of course, they do have uh, AI software and, and, you know, intelligent planning there. So in your micro-fulfillment centers um, within, you know, existing retailers, how much of the automation is, you know, the hardware, the actual movement of goods, and how much of it is the software, the, the algorithms? Yeah, well, we actually need uh, we actually need both parts to work hand in hand. And actually, we have a great partnership with Canap on the automation side. We actually like to say that the hardware piece for providers that actually have that reliability and scalability, which are super important, and by the way, only very few have that, we like to say that that is the easy part. The really hard part is that end-to-end orchestration from how orders get placed on the e-commerce side, how do you define the assortment, how do you make sure that you have the right product in the right section of fulfillment, how do you have an efficient way of picking? We, in all of our facilities, we typically have four ways of picking out of automation, darkroom environments, batch pick from those delis and meat departments, long tail if needed. And then having that last mile and pickup and delivery all integrated. So you're doing things like uh, 
pre-picking and maintaining temperature in specially designed toads and making sure that you're fully utilizing whether it's a truck that our client is going to send for sister stores or for home delivery or its partners like, for example, DoorDash or Uber that are doing that last mile, having that really orchestrated and to make sure that that end shopper promise is spotless. It's not only on time, but it's 100% of those items. It gets done in very short timeframes. Now, we designed our facilities to get to at least to our promises you no, know, for, for the clients. And then with a PL that enables you to make money as a retailer. That's absolutely fabulous. It is very, very cool. And uh, as we were saying, it's also very, very timely because the pandemic has has made this, you know, almost like an existential necessity for most retailers. Um, and in the podcast, in, in, in our previous interviews, um, I've talked to guests about how physical retail is even more important than ever, you know, despite the pandemic, because of the importance of meeting the customer when and how they shop, right? And so, however, one of the things I like that you guys have done is that you've integrated all of these automation technologies into the core of what takeoff technology does. Is that not true? You're precisely right. We like to say that you're, we are your fulfillment as a service end-to-end partner. And having that integration is super important for our clients. Yeah. And in fact, you know, one of the things I recently read in a blog post titled Post-Pandemic, the future of online grocery is as much physical as it is digital. It was written that no grocer or retailer for that matter should ever assume that fast delivery is all that matters. Now, that piqued my interest because I thought speed is essential, but obviously it's a little more on that. So could you elaborate on that statement? Sure. Look, retail is a very big market. And what we've learned from end consumers is when you ask them to really prioritize what matters to them, actually the, the dimensions that are super important are they don't want to pay more for their groceries. They definitely like the convenience and the speed, but they don't want to pay 15, 30% more for, for their groceries. So making sure that, that that is spot on, how can you make money without upcharging and keeping that same prices as stores, no additional fees, not even, not even tips, not even convenience fees is something that we strive to do every day. And we've designed our solution to be able to compete in this world. Let's face it, companies like Amazon and Walmart are making this the new norm. Same prices as stores, no additional fees. You choose pickup or home delivery within two hours. The only way that you can actually build viable businesses is if you put automation very close to where their shoppers are, therefore the hyper-local micro-fulfillments. Now, having said that, just to kind of stay with that topic for a second, they do need to introduce new technology now, um, the, the micro-fulfillment centers. And so there is a cost to this. So what processes or other capabilities do you bypass or eliminate to make up for the additional cost of click and pick? 
Look, the, the biggest thing we actually can do is we're in the business of making humans very, very productive. When you look at two very important KPIs in, uh, in groceries and definitely in, in online groceries that we strive to give the right business case, the first one is what is the all-in units per labor hour that you can assemble? We are proud to say that we can assemble all in. This is from receiving to decanting to picking to staging to assembling those orders. We can do north of 130 units per labor hour. That compares to a supermarket brick and mortar that typically does 20. That's the magnitude of labor productivity increase that you have. All of our processes are much more streamlined the way you receive product, the way you put it into that machine. Imagine that compares to what's called the put-away process in an open supermarket. And definitely all of our sites are designed for a very healthy pick-and-pack motion. So when you put all the things together, we typically, our typical site makes about $30 million of GMB. And we can run these sites with about a crew of 10 people. When you compare that with a typical supermarket, that gets run with crews of typically hundreds of people. So we, by putting this technology and putting people working hand in hand with this technology, we suddenly can make them 10 times more productive. There are no cashiers. There are no these additional processes that you need to run through. Uh, so when you put it, when you add it all together, you can actually finally sell online, do the extra activities that the shopper was doing, pick and pack and last mile, and have an all-in cost that it's even lower than running a supermarket store. Therefore, keeping prices the same the same way you can actually make the same or better profit numbers than brick and mortar. And we have a 20% advantage of Mm. if you run all of your costs of a brick and mortar supermarket, and on top of that, you send droves of people to grow miles to assemble orders. So it's a huge, huge benefit in that variable cost of assembling the orders. You made a good point of, yes, there is investments needed, but with that lift of about 20% on their existing online volume, our clients are getting paybacks in the two to three year uh, horizons, which is a beautiful business case. And it starts the uh, non-brainer kind of category. That is very impressive, Max. That is absolutely fantastic. Now, Back to the pandemic and, and of course, the behavior changes to online grocery. This is becoming an absolute necessity. Even as people kind of go out and, and do physical shopping, the habits of the convenient grocery online capabilities is going to stick. Now, you guys did a study in, in I believe, the July a timing of last year called How to Win in Online Grocery which is, I assume it was aimed at, you know, how do you beat Amazon in its own game? What were some of the biggest takeaways from that research? There were several takeaways in, in here. I'll start by saying, reiterating what you just mentioned, 
being able to serve clients if they want to buy online, it's no longer a luxury, it's a necessity. This pandemic has really accelerated adoption and penetration of, of those purchases. Just to give you an idea, four years ago in the U.S., half a percentage point was online. This year, it's going to be probably north of 10%, so a 20 times increase of that, of that volume. And we know that this behavior is going to be very sticky even after we're all vaccinated and, the, and, and it's a new norm, especially if we continue to give that convenience and not upcharge for that service. So with that, the biggest learnings we have is, is several things. First, the model that says we're going to keep prices the same as the stores, no additional fees, and go for two-hour promises and whether you want to drive through uh, and pick up your, uh, your, um, your full basket or get it home delivered, that is going to be the winning model. Already the big players are playing that game. That is the new set of customer expectation. And anyone that doesn't deliver on, on that will be outside of the market. The second big implication is uh, physical and digital need to work together. There's, there's a big clarity. Um, let me start first with the online pieces. There's already great assets that all of our clients have, which is those supermarket stores that happen to be in the neighborhoods of where people live. Sweating those assets and getting full utilization to that is really important for even the people that don't want to shop those stores anymore. And it's very important for the people that want to do a combined experience in which um, they want to go and choose their lamb chops, what we used to call the once kind of categories, but they care very little about you know, roaming aisles to shop their toilet paper or Cheerios. They know they want it and they want the easiest and cheapest way into their pantry or fridge. So with that, those assets are going to be really, really important. Um, we actually see a second phase of our company, which we're already very proud to, to, to say that we're working with three of our uh, great clients in which the store gets completely reimagined. Imagine now a store that it's even smaller and it only has the ones categories there a little bit of fresh a little bit of uh tastings uh the flowers a coffee shop that entire center store of a supermarket there's now a better fulfillment mechanism it's no longer shelves it's now a micro fulfillment center and when you put all this together you can serve both the clients that want to come in and visit and experience the fun parts of groceries as well as the ones that really don't want to go to a supermarket anymore and want it either drive through or home delivered if, when you do that you now have the perfect asset to serve both of those clients oh that is fabulous um i know this isn't exactly the same so it's going to be a bad analogy but it's a little bit like ikea where you know you, you you've got the display all over the store and if you really want to pick up the product you know, that's in a different area in the warehouse. Um, I know it's not exactly the same, but uh, I was wondering if, that, if that's essentially what you're evolving to. 
Tony, you're you're spot on. Essentially, what you're describing. Look, 102 years ago, there was a gentleman that invented what we now call the out, the self service supermarket. What this gentleman basically did is they unified the marketing with the fulfillment. Basically, now things were available there in shelves. That was the technology at that time. And that gave shoppers something that they really liked, which is the ability to browse and uh, and do it themselves. But what it really gave is a huge P&L lift. When you look at the way it was, you know, we bought groceries before that, it, probably our great-grandparents, it was going with a list to someone that behind the counter assembled that full, full order for us. When the self-service supermarket came in, basically the cost to serve got slashed in half and the assets needed to serve a dollar of, of, of sales got slashed in half. After that, there were not a lot of uh, innovations uh, subsequently. We are now facing a re-transformational moment in which you can now slash the cost of serving groceries in half and you can actually invest half of what you were investing in opening physical stores. That is the magnitude of the opportunity. Let's face it, Amazon did precisely that in the general merchandise category. Groceries is much harder, but that's the next innovation wave that we are powering with our company for our clients. And, and how does this translate into other they're not other channels, but other formats. So, you know, in developing markets, you know, you've got the really small retailer, right? Uh, well, even in New York, you've got your bodegas where, you know, you might actually ask the shop owner to essentially give you product A, B, and C, and they do the picking. So as you kind of think about this reimagining, you know, does that also go back and disrupt those very small stores, you know, the the tens of millions of those in Asia, Africa, actually now even in Western Europe, uh, and, and certainly in Latin America? Well, we, we actually think about this slightly different in these terms. So you have to be open for um, being able to fulfill those online orders. You know, the reality is if you're not over, open for business with a viable business case, it's going to be a rough spot. You no, know, it's going to be a, a, a really rough spot. There's going to be a lot of interesting th- things coming up. There's um, so, for example, we're working with several of the smaller players, players that might be in New York and have small stores. And what we design for them is a micro fulfillment center that actually serves several of their uh, stores and zip codes that they cover. And as we, we chatted before, you can actually make that experience of the fulfillment piece come out sometimes out of the store, sometimes out of a darkroom environment that happened to be the size of a pharmacy here in the U.S. So that is that is having the right capabilities. Uh, we even have some clients that pool their assets together to make sure that that investment actually gets the full return on it. So I actually see a vibrant, a vibrant future for the people that choose to jump into these platforms the right way. Again, not being open for business is really rough. 
charging 30% more for business. So inefficient manual models are there, won't be around in the next, I don't know, near future. Doing it right, whether you're some of the largest retailers in the world or you're that smaller shop that if you have the right capabilities and join the right platforms like Takeoff, we actually believe you have a bright future. Yes. Um, What you're doing is continuing down the path of relentless efficiencies uh, by playing around with technologies and, and formats of how the same work process gets done. And you said it, you know, you're, you're basically reimagining the role of the physical store. Um, in fact, in a uh, separate interview, I believe your co-founder, Jose Vicente, said, there's a picture in our office of our main competitor, which is a shelf in a supermarket. And I guess in some ways that is your competitor, isn't it? It is. It is. That was the, that was the winning technology until the microfulfillment got created. That was a winning technology for groceries, that self-service coupled with those endless shelves. There's now something better. There's something that produces a better result. Again, we're in the business of a person now can assemble 700 items per unit hours. That compares to typically 60 when you uh, go pick out of these brick and mortar stores. So there's something that it's very powerful. There's a more efficient way of shopping and fulfilling those, those, those grocery chains. And you can handle the marketing and the exploration of product in a different ways. You made an example of Ikea. This is happening everywhere. It's happening in Amazon. It's happening in Bonobos, for example, which the marketing and the fulfillment gets separated. And if there's a better way of fulfilling those, those orders, shoppers are all for it, all for it. Absolutely. I mean, at the end of the day, this is all about eliminating friction for the shoppers. And uh, this is what makes it so disruptive. Um, excellent. Hey, uh, Max, we're at the point in our show where we want to kind of go beyond Max, the co-founder, and into Max, the human being, Max, the person. Uh, we call it our lightning round. And I'm going to ask you slightly more personal questions. Is that okay with you? Sure, of course. All right, okay. So if uh, I were to come around and, and look at your cell phone or PC and what you buy, what is in your grocery cart? So what's in my grocery cart, it's a great question. It, it's about, I've actually looked at my grocery cart in a full year. We buy 340 items in a year and it tends to be the same ones. And it tends to be, there's a lot of stickiness on some of those, I know, what is the butter we select for our home? What is the kind of meats and what's the kind of cleaning products? While there's a little bit of, I know, change and exploration, we tend to have about 340 items in my overall household. And that is actually not very dissimilar to, to the whole industry. The reason why supermarkets have gone crazy on um, I know 60,000 plus SKUs is probably because they need to serve too big of catchment areas. When you can actually do some localization of who's really buying you, that's another huge advantage of what we do at, at, at Takeoff, which is... We just 
focus on 4,000 loyal households. When you look at what they buy, you can assort that. And then the 12 to 15,000 SKUs is 99% of the sales. So that is actually a big reminder for us that assorting hyper-locally is also part of getting this whole equation right. And that is a super important piece of what we offer to, to our clients. Oh, very, very cool. I've never counted the, the number of items that uh, we buy as a household. But then again, I'm in a slightly different business than you. But I will go and, and, and do that. That's that's an uh, interesting analysis I need to do. Um, now, what's your favorite subscription service? I think I, I'll, I'll have to start with the Wall Street Journal. That's my okay. morning coffee kind of companion. Yeah. Uh, but then I would probably have to go to, with some of my streaming services, which are heavily used by not only me, but the entire family. Yeah. Yes. Now, that that is so true. I mean, th- these days, staying at home has certainly you know, pushed the, uh, the TV subscription services, uh, streaming subscription services in a big, big way. Um, you know, you've obviously been in the retail industry for a long time. You must have some favorite retail customer experience. So what's your favorite retail experience? Yeah, and now, now you're going to dangerous grounds because we have, I know, a lot of clients here and, and please don't ask me who's my <laughs> preferred ones because that's like asking which of your kids you've loved the most in it. I know, again, several local players like, I know, the, the Alberts and Safeways, the... Aholdo Hayes, the the, the, the ShopRite folks, though clearly are people that we you know, heavily uh, buy and, and, and really appreciate in it. What I would mention is I really have a lot of respect for players that actually do things slightly different. I have a lot of respect for the Trader Joe's and Alves and Littles. They, they offer something that it's, in my mind, very valuable for a lot of players, and they really hone in that promise of quality with best prices in a, albeit a reduced assortment. That is something that I value personally quite a bit. Yeah, I, yeah the, the innovativeness of, of um, those business models, you know, like you mentioned, Aldi, or, you know, in Europe, Lidl, and many of the others, it was hard to conceptualize. But, you know, once you've actually seen how that works, they do add tremendous value to their shoppers and sell kudos to them. I, I, I can see why, you know, you would value that. Well, thank you for sharing. Um, I, I do have one other question. So this is kind of going to get creative, but if you could be sponsored by one brand, so take your pick. I mean, it could be Mercedes-Benz or a Nikes or whatever it is. Um, What brand would you choose and, and why? And I'm gi- giving you the opportunity, Max, to get the bump from the show to perhaps even set you up with a an ongoing personal branding company. I'm joking, of course. But um, back to the question, what would be uh, your, your preferred brand? Another tough question, Tony. I really like uh, you getting me to think in here. Let me choose an unsuspected one, which is I would choose Intel. Let me tell you why. It's a B2B business. And it's kind of at the heart of making ecosystems work. And it's something that this combination of hardware and software 
powering bigger ecosystems and, and driving the next round of, of innovation, I actually see a lot of comparison points to what we're trying to do in creating big ecosystems in which, um, in which the hard part, which is the orchestration, does this end-to-end solution deliver on the shopper experience and on the on the business case for our clients we like to be at the heart of it all and at the heart of where the real innovation is which is in hardware and software driven by fulfillment ai that is where we get a lot of inspiration from I can see that, um, you know, in many ways, you're trying to be the intel inside for uh, retailers in these very different channels. Um, so great answer. Hey, uh, uh, Max, this has been a very fascinating conversation. And I would want to thank you for not just bringing in what I consider to be a very disruptive business model in retail, but also for sharing your personal inspirations and your personal preferences. Now, um, before we end, I always like to have our guests leave behind something for our listeners. So for all of the people there that among our listeners who are looking to become the next Max, what advice would you give them? How should they go about thinking about disrupting retail? Tony, thanks for the question. I'm, I'm happy you're asking easy ones. <laughs> let me try to be, let me, uh, let me share a few thoughts in here. I think that you need to start by following a real deep passion. The deeper why of why we're doing takeoff is we can help reimagine retail. And in doing so, we can actually democratize access of quality foods at even cheaper prices than consumers do this, all while adding convenience. This is actually super impactful. This is something that we co-founders, all Rocket Berries at Takeoff, take this extremely seriously. So having that mission and that bigger purpose, and this being one that you can actually do really, really impactful things for making this a better world, is something that really drives us every day. And then if I leave a couple of other thoughts is take chances. If you deeply believe in it, get together with the right folks. There's plenty of good money chasing really, really good ideas. Get going. One point for thinking about it, 10 points for actually doing it. And that's where the magic happens. And that's where you're going to wake up every day and feel really good about what you're doing for the world for your fellow colleagues and uh, for your investors, for those end shoppers know that can actually do things the way they really want to, to shop this world, which is in a world without shelves, they just want convenience and not pay more for it. Focus on what really matters for them and then you can do really exciting things. Oh, that's very well said, Max. The combination of a massive transformative purpose you know, by uh, doing something good while we're also doing well, and then taking that all the way through execution, as you said, because that's, you know, 10 times more important than the idea. That's absolutely fabulous advice. Hey, thank you again, Max, for joining us today. I really enjoyed the conversation, and I wish you all the best as you 
takeoff with uh, takeoff technologies. So it's been our pleasure, Tony. Pun intended. Uh, let's take off together. We're an exciting moment in time, and the world is ready for being reshaped. And I think that if we can help power this on behalf of our clients, there's going to be magical things coming to those end, end shoppers. I really do hope so. And again, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners out there, thanks again for joining us today. As always, make sure you subscribe at www.winningretailpodcast.com. And until next time, keep reinventing retail. Thank you again for listening to Winning Retail. To find more episodes and subscribe to our newsletter, go to winningretailpodcast.com.